0: Are you as fired up as I am? I hope so. Uh, I've got a couple things I want to draw your attention to. First of all, everybody turn around and look at Tom and Jan Saxton. (laughs) Okay, Tom's the uh, guy back there in that wooden throne chair that we've got just for him. Uh, And he is the king today. He has been married to his queen for 50 years this weekend. That, particularly in these days, is an achievement, and it comes about not through our effort but by God's grace, and I'm sure Tom and Jan, if they would talk to you about it, would tell you that same thing, that uh, 50 years, they have relied on God's grace to love each other and to serve one another and to be the embodiment of the presence of Christ in their home, and uh, it's a tremendous testimony. Uh, May God's grace and blessing be on you both. Um, Another thing that happened this week that I'm super excited about, we had summer blast this last weekend. Uh, I don't know how long it has been since this happened, but it's been before I was here. Uh, There were 40 kids on one night at a youth group this last Thursday, 40 different kids, about 50 (laughs) all together through the three nights. So... God's uh, God's Spirit is moving in our community. Our kids are inviting their friends. Uh, it's a tremendous time, and uh, you know we're going to have our ministry fair next week. As Stephen mentioned, you'll have opportunity to sign up, participate in all kinds of ministries, from gardening to Stephen needs some help at this point. Uh, we're going to spin off both uh, both the high school and a, you know maintain our junior high youth group, obviously, but. Also, spin off a high school group starting the 25th. Small groups are coming up. If you're not in a small group, let me give you the word of the Lord on that. Get in a small group. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, don't know if that's, I don't know if that's prophetic revelation or not, but let me tell you. Uh, you know, the, the Scripture does talk about how God's people devoted themselves to the fellowship, as well as to the apostles' teaching, and to prayer, and to the breaking of bread. And in a small group, you have the opportunity not only to look at the apostles' teaching, but also to look at the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and to fellowship. And you need to be in a group. I'm serious. Uh, I've still got three spots open in my group. Uh, If you have been in the same group forever, sign up for a group. We took everybody's name off those sign-up sheets, so uh, everybody has to sign up for a new group. You don't have to sign up for a different group, but you do have to sign up for a group, so sign up. If you want more information about those, there's some of these out in the hallway out there. Get into a group. Everybody get that? Get into a group, okay? Um, One of the other things that is exciting is we have, uh, from time to time, opportunity to dedicate children to the, uh, to the Lord and to uh, commit ourselves and to, uh, to sharing with their parents in the responsibility of raising a son or a daughter to know the Lord and to follow him. So, uh, Jordan Smith has, uh, has expressed an interest in, in dedicating his son, Colin. Now, please understand, this is not a salvific experience. Uh, Colin is not saved on the uh, goodwill of his parents but this is an opportunity uh, for him to be dedicated before the Lord by his dad that he is going to that that his dad Jordan is going to raise him to know and to follow Jesus uh, from this age forward so uh, Jordan Colin if you guys had come on up, uh, the scripture says that children are a gift from God. That God, in His kindness, entrusts us with kids. Uh, something for all of us to remember. If you're particularly if you're in that stage where you're still getting up in the night, that this child is a gift from the Almighty. <laughs> right? Uh, sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. And as believers, we're called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God, that they are on loan, in a sense, to us. And we have the awesome responsibility, but also the awesome privilege of raising our kids and enjoying that gift, and then offering that gift, therefore, back to the Lord in worship. And we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that, that Hannah presented her son Samuel to the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we read that Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem in order to present him before the Lord. And in the same way, Jordan here is bringing his son Colin, uh, presenting first himself and then his son before the Lord, his God. And so, Jordan, I want to call your attention to the commands of God in the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord your, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be up on your hearts. You're to impress them on your children. You're to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So in other words, the whole idea is, is that day by day, throughout all the activities of the day, that the Lord is present with you. And you have the opportunity, as you're raising your son, to talk with him and to uh, demonstrate to him the love of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 6.4 also speaks to you as a father. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So God's instruction here are pretty plain. You're to love the Lord your God with every ounce and fiber of your strength, and energy, and intelligence, and talent, and you're to teach Colin to do the same, and as you love God, you will teach Colin uh, and model before him the wonderful love for God that he will want for himself, and Jordan, by coming forward before God and his people, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourself and your son Colin to the Lord? If so, please respond by saying, I do. Now, having come freely here to make this commitment, I ask that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people. So that Colin might walk in the abundance of life that Christ offers Do you, you, Jordan, vow by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Colin with a Christian home of love and peace to raise him in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline and to encourage him to one day trust Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. Now finally, I'd ask the church to make a commitment as well, because within the church, parents have first responsibility for their children, but parents also need support and help. Amen? And so, I direct my question to you all. By being present today, do you hereby declare yourselves to be first the children of God? because you have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. If this is true, um, yes, please respond by saying we do. Would you stand? Now, having come freely, people of God, I ask that you now make the following commitment to those who stand before you. So that Colin may walk in the abundant life Christ offers do you vow before God and with his help to be faithful to your calling as members of the body of Christ to encourage Jordan and help him to be faithful to God and to help teach and train Colin in the ways of the Lord that he may one day trust in Jesus as Savior and as his Lord. If you accept this responsibility please respond by saying, we do. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you for these these men, for Colin and for Jordan, and for the privilege that we have as the body of Christ of gathering around them and saying that we will stand with them as they uh, walk together in relationship with Christ uh, toward you. Father, I pray that you would strengthen Jordan for the task ahead. It is a task that is beyond him to be a godly father, but it is a task that you empower him for as you fill him with your Holy Spirit. Father, may he walk before you in holiness and truth that he may be an example of a transformed life before the eyes of his son, that one day his son, seeing his dad's life, might say, that is the life that I want. That is what it means to be a Christian, and therefore that is what I want to be. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, those of you who have been here a while know that one of our goals here as a church is that we would be continually progressing day by day and week by week into um, more and more the family of God. And in the next week or so, I will be sending out a letter... To our members with m- more details but one of the family issues we need to deal with right now is that we are not making budget so family meeting on that here just quickly um, to this point in the year that wasn't a humongous deal because we didn't have all of our staff on staff uh, now we do and the amount of money we are falling short is to this point in the year become rather substantial so here's the deal Um, we have a lot of exciting ministry that is happening and it is about to happen but in order for that to continue and in order for us to go forward we're going to need to um, lay our finances before the Lord and to ask for his provision and a lot of his provision is going to come from uh, the person who looks you in the mirror in the morning. Uh, And so I am going to talk with Karen when she comes home, and we're going to sit down together, and I'd encourage you to do the same with your spouse and see what we can do to resolve our situation. This is the budget we've committed to. Uh, This is the budget that we need in order to be able to uh, go forward with all of the exciting things that are happening and that are going to happen. But... Uh, this is also where we are. So a uh, word of encouragement on that. Lots of fun stuff is, is happening and is going to happen. And the Lord is in his resources is not limited. Amen. He, he can provide everything we need and he will. And I remain confident of that. So uh, it's, it's going to be exciting to see how God is going to answer our prayer on this. And I want to pray right now. So let's pray together. God, our heavenly father. Um, looking at our income and our expected outgo for the future, uh, things don't line up. And, Father, we know that you are not shocked by that in any way. But, Father, we also know that, um, that in order for ministry to go forward as, as you've given it to us, that, that we need some additional resources. And so, Father, I pray that your abundant provision would be sufficient for our needs. That we might trust you with our finances, that we might uh, see your deliverance and your power at work in us and through us. And Father, we pray uh, for you to open the floodgates of heaven and fill the storehouse, that we might have everything we need for for life and for godliness. But also that the church, your people, uh, might have all that. Uh, that it needs in order to go forward in ministry, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this week, we are spending some more time in 1 Corinthians 14, which is continuing uh, this big section on the gift of tongues, and this is the chapter where Paul gives specific instruction on how tongues are to be used in worship, and he has a lot to say, which is why this is our second of three weeks on this chapter uh, but as you make your way there, I want to remind you of a couple of things. That, first of all, Paul's primary concern among the Corinthians is the gospel. He wants the gospel to spread and he wants them to live out the gospel and its implications. And so, in virtually every section of this whole book, Paul ties everything that he says back to the gospel. And so in chapter 12, he talks about how uh, it is through faith in the gospel message that believers become part of the body of Christ. And as members of the body of Christ, every person has a significant role to play and every person is given a gift because they receive the Holy Spirit who converts them by the gospel and who empowers them uh, with His power because of their faith in Christ. And then in chapter 13, we looked at the love chapter, remember? And the love chapter is all about the kind of love that Christ offers to his people uh, in the gospel, that it's the same, the same kind of self-sacrificial, self-giving love that Jesus demonstrates and it therefore ought to characterize those of us who are his people. In chapter 14, where we are, Paul is telling us what gospel-centered worship looks like in our attitudes and what we choose to do and not to do, and also in the reasons for both our attitudes and our actions. So I hope you found your way there so we can read together. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church... I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, if you look at verse 13, what you see is that Paul is drawing a conclusion. As I've said before, whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, you need to figure out what it's there for. And, And it's there in order to give a conclusion. He's given a bunch of instruction in the first 12 verses and now he's going to draw some conclusions and some implications. And he's been talking about in the first 12 verses how prophecy is superior to tongues because tongues is not intelligible to the people uh, you're speaking, and prophecy is. And intelligible communication is always better than unintelligible communication. And as we've said before, I believe that the tongues that we're talking about are, um, are specific languages, human languages, that the person did not learn, but nevertheless is able to speak in. And I gave you an example last week. I remember I read you a couple of verses in Greek, and everybody looked at me and went, huh? Right? Like I'd grown another arm or something. And, and it didn't make any sense, and you couldn't be blessed by it because it was not intelligible to you. And so Paul says, you need to speak God's Word in a way that is clear. And so his conclusion then is, if you're going to speak in tongues and worship, great, but also pray for the power to interpret. Now that's interesting to me, because what that says is, is that evidently, at least in this case, you can pray for and receive additional spiritual gifts to the ones you started out with, right? If he says you should pray for the power to interpret, we know interpretation is a gift. Chapter 12 tells us it is. You can get an additional gift, evidently. I think that's highly significant. Um, Now, in verse 14, he gives some reasons. Uh, why tongues need to be interpreted and, and here he goes into a discussion about your mind and your spirit and and i think that can be a little hard to get your arms around but here's what i think paul is saying that when a person speaks in tongues it's something that flows out of their spirit it's not a completely rational process uh, those who speak in tongues this is why he says pray for the power to interpret may not even understand themselves what they are saying But nevertheless, um, it can be a, and I've never done this, by the way, but I imagine that if you speak in tongues, you know, if all of a sudden, as an English-speaking person, just out of your mouth starts coming French or Catalan or Farsi or whatever, and this Iranian that you're speaking Farsi to is just going, "Uh uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. That's got to be a euphoric experience. I am preaching God's word to this guy, and I don't know what I'm saying, but wow, this is cool. I'm sharing the gospel, you know. this would That would be amazing. That's got to be a euphoric experience. You want to talk about a mountaintop experience? That would be one. That you would be able to communicate with somebody in a language you've never learned because God's spirit is flowing through you. But he says, look, he says, so you're... Your mind may not even be aware of what's going on in total. But your spirit, your spirit prays and your spirit is speaking. And. um, And he says, but look, non-rational communication, even if it is in another human language. Is only valuable insofar as it's intelligible to the people who are hearing. You know, if I start speaking Farsi to you, you're going to look at me kind of cockeyed. <laughs> and go, what? You know, that's that's exciting. It may be interesting. It might be blessing to somebody, but not to me. Explain what you're saying. And so he says, look, it's okay to pray or to speak in tongues. But you need to pray and speak and speak in ways that also involve your mind. The mind is not an unspiritual part of us. You know, there's not a mind and spirit dichotomy where this is really spiritual and this is not. No, the mind is also a spiritual part of us. You remember the command says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your what? All your mind that your mind is to be redeemed as well, and you're to communicate with your mind. And if all of our public praying and all of our public speaking is unintelligible, then no one but you ever benefits. Because you may be feeling like, wow, this is great! And everybody else is going, yeah, I'm sure you're really blessed by it. But they're not. And Paul is deeply concerned about the gospel. And so he brings in the outsider here in verse 16 and basically says, Hey, what about this guy? Wouldn't love for the outsider demand communication that he can get his arms around? And that's also the underlying concern in verse 17 where he says, You might be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And once again, the idea is is that our gifts are not for ourselves that we don't exist for ourselves. Now we might think of it that way, you know, we have my calendar, my car, my house, my time, my whatever, but the reality of it is in Christ we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for each other. And the church is that is that is that organism, that living thing that we are brought into and we are, exist to benefit each other. Right, You don't have, as an example, you know, dis- disembodied toes. You, know, you don't have hands that run around all by themselves, disconnected from the body. That would be weird. That's on the Munsters, right? Uh, you don't have that. Why not? Because that part of the body not only doesn't exist independent of the body, it doesn't exist for itself. It exists in order to serve the body. And if you have the gift of tongues, Paul says... You exist for other people's blessing, not for your own. And so he says, now look, please understand, verse 18, says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I think he's talking there not quantitatively. I think he's talking qualitatively, that his experience of tongues, you think yours is great, mine is better. It's not that... It's not that he's being that he's jealous of an ability he doesn't have, and therefore is putting restrictions on them. He's saying, "No, I have the same ability that you have. In fact, mine is better. But my concern for building up the body is genuine, and it's because of my concern for the larger body, and ev- that everyone have the best opportunity to progress in maturity." That he makes his next statement. Look at verse nineteen. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Now, that word ten thousand is interesting. It's the word in Greek "myrios," which means which comes over into English as myriad. Okay, Um, it's the largest number in Greek. It literally means ten thousand, but it's the largest number that they have, and so it functions not just literally a lot of times in Greek, but also metaphorically. How many of you have ever heard somebody talk about a gazillion? (laughs) That's the comparison. Five words versus a gazillion. He picks the biggest number he can use. He says five words in order to instruct is far better than a gazillion in a word that they can't understand. Because... Those five words that are clear benefit more than a whole bunch that they can't get because the concern is for other people. So the question is not, should I use my spiritual gifts? The question is, how and why? And the answer is, to benefit others so that they might grow not to benefit myself, that I might feel good. Make sense? All right. Uh, And the the Corinthians, by the way, these people are inclined to see everybody who speaks in tongues as the spiritual elite. And they they consider themselves, you know, the tongue speakers consider themselves the mature ones in the body. And so Paul goes on, and talk about what real maturity looks like. Verses 20 to 25, look at it with me. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You know, these Corinthians that were speaking in tongues all thought, well, this shows that God is really among us because look at what we can do. And it is a demonstration of God's power that can be used in a legitimate way. But not if it confuses everybody who hears it. And he says, look, it's time to grow up and think like an adult Christian. On the one hand, that means becoming more and more like a child as it relates to evil. You know, kids are pretty wide-eyed and innocent. There's a lot of things that they don't know anything about. And you know what? It's a good thing they don't know anything about this stuff. Some of the things that you hear about on TV or on the news of recent, particularly with certain congressmen, I want to go get the brain bleach. And stick my head in it at about twice. I don't want to know about what this perv is up to. I really don't. And he says in regard to evil, be a child. Have a level of innocence about you. But with reference to your thinking as followers of Christ, you should have a childlike innocence and a purity about you that comes from fleeing from sin perpetually that the more and more you flee from sin the more like a child you become in terms of evil and you shouldn't be you shouldn't be jaded and wise about all the evil of the world there should still be a level of things that you find shocking even as a even as a Christian adult But on the other hand, you need to think and behave as an adult. And as it relates to tongues specifically, that means understanding what tongues are for, and surprise, surprise, that they aren't given for the benefit of the person who has the gift. That instead, they are given for a dual purpose. Number one, they're given for, for evangelistic reasons, that outsiders might hear the gospel. Remember, that's what happens in Acts 2. 120 people go out, they have tongues of fire that appear over their heads. They are filled with the Spirit, and they begin speaking to this large crowd of Jews in Jerusalem who begin hearing the gospel in their own language. And then Paul, I mean, Peter stands up and he starts expounding the scriptures to people in language they can understand. And about 3,000 of them come to faith in Christ. Now, a whole bunch of them say, You guys have been on the sauce. Um, and th- that highlights the other function of tongues which is as a sign against people who have, uh, who are about to be under God's judgment because of their unbelief and he quotes a verse here, Isaiah 28.11 says, men of strange through men of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners now in Isaiah's original context that's Isaiah 28.11 Isaiah is preaching against uh, against the northern kingdom of Israel centered around Samaria they're into golden calf worship they're into idolatry and he says i have been speaking clearly and everybody's making fun of isaiah because you know well he's just not that impressive to listen to he's kind of a country boy he's not that he's, not, he's he should be more sophisticated like our pagan prophets and and god says well i tell you what if you can't get clear communication through Isaiah, then I'll give you unclear communication that will still communicate in the form of the Assyrian army will come in. And you won't understand a word that these people say, but guess what? You will understand that judgment has arrived, just like Isaiah said it was going to. And you won't repent then either, because you are hardened in your unbelief. And your rejection of me. And that that the uh, those Assyrians, they'll speak a different language, but they'll, their message will be clear. Judgment has come. And the women were taken out of the towns with their heads shaved and hooks in their mouth like a fish when the Assyrians came. And the men were slaughtered. And God's judgment landed. And strictly as an aside, I think God gives tongues at Pentecost as a sign to the Jews in both of these senses. That first of all, that those who believe might see the power of God because they are hearing the gospel presented by men who have never learned their language, who are nevertheless speaking it. And other people are saying, no, it's not a mighty miracle. These guys are drunk. They've had too much wine. And you know what happened? Within 40 years, the unbelieving were judged by another invading army. And Paul applies Isaiah's prophecy to contemporary Corinthian situation here in verse 22 and 23. Paul says tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. That they might either believe or that they might have an awareness that God's judgment is coming. God gives clear communication to those who will believe, and that clear communication comes through his prophets. But the speaking of a foreign language can only result in rejection by the one who hears it. And that brings God's judgment on him or on her. And so Paul is saying this, why not make it easier for a person to believe and receive salvation rather than judgment? Because a guy who, he, who walks into a church, let's say a guy walks in off the street, pick whatever stereotype you want. You know, Maybe the guy is you know, one of the one percenters. You know, he's got his French cuff shirt and his solid gold cuff links and his tie and whatever. And he walks into a church and everybody's speaking in tongues. What does he think? thinks, these people's cheese has slid all the way off their cracker. Okay, or or let's picture a guy at the other end of the spectrum. You know, maybe the guy is a outlaw biker. You know, he's got he's got more misspelled tattoos than any one person has a right to have. And he walks into church, and everybody's speaking in some other language, and then he looks at them and goes, "I don't know, man. I was going to throw out this Christianity thing, but I just don't get it." Just beyond me, evidently. I'm not that sophisticated, apparently. In both cases, the guy walks out an unbeliever. Paul says, but if everybody prophesies, in other words, if everybody is speaking the word of God in a clearly understandable way, what happens? That guy feels the conviction. Of the Holy Spirit on his life, and then he repents. He falls on his face before God. You ever had that happen? You ever said, "Hopefully, it happens regularly with me. I hope this is true." Okay, but I can tell you that it's happened to me. As I sit and I listen to the Word of God preached, I I sometimes feel like, "Man, this guy has been reading my mail." See, he work for the NSA? What is the deal? He knows everything about the inner stuff in my heart. But it's not, it's not that the guy's been snooping on you. It's that God is using His Word in your heart to convict you. And when you receive that conviction, you are motivated to repent and to change and to seek the Lord. And he says, and then that guy will have an awareness, yes, this is real. God is really among you. That's verse 25. Secrets of his heart are disclosed. And falling on his face, he worships God and declares God is really there. He must be really there. Because all of a sudden, remember the woman at the well with Jesus? She says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. The secrets of her heart were disclosed, and she felt exposed before God and yet never more alive and never more free. And she knew that she had met the Messiah. So here's, here's where the rubber meets the road on this. Bottom line is, what will you sacrifice in order to bless other people with your spiritual gifts. Because that's really what he's talking about. He's talking about being willing to make a sacrifice that you are not the focus and you are not the purpose for which you're given a spiritual gift. That other people are the focus and Jesus is the person to be honored. Because here's the reality. We've got folks inside the body of Christ with us and we've got folks outside the body of Christ who need to be served and need to be loved. Those outside the body of Christ are headed for hell unless they repent and believe the gospel. And those inside the body of Christ need to be served and built up and encouraged and challenged. And as Hebrews says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. If you're the horse in that illustration, and you are, and I am, spurred may not feel very good. But nevertheless, you're being prodded to follow Jesus, and that is great. And really what it comes down to is just one thing. It comes down to love comes down to love for God and love for other people. I know that's basic stuff, right? Jesus said the whole law is summed up in the two commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And basically, that's what it comes down to life in the body as well. Love for the Lord your God and love for other people. And a willingness, therefore, if you love one another, not to necessarily have to have your particular itch be scratched. Amen? We won't insist on doing what makes me feel good, but on the thing that builds up everybody else. We'll do what is best for everybody, including those things which are more likely to lead to someone else's conversion than drive them away. Because the thing is, and you all know this, I'm not telling you anything new here. That the church is not a club for people who are inside it already. And I'm kind of like Groucho Marx in that regard. I'd never wanted to be, belong to any club that would have me for a member. <laughs> right? Um, but the church is not a club, it's a hospital. Where wounded and dying people get healed and brought back to life. And that means some inconvenience sometimes. That means some sacrifice sometimes. In fact, it means a lot of sacrifice and a lot of inconvenience a lot of times. But if we love each other as Christ loved us, then it's not a sacrifice, is it? Not really. You know, when I'm at home, and Karen's home, and I get to be with her, there are things that that need doing around the house, and many of them are not my favorite thing, but I do them. Why? You know, she told me the other day, the oil needs changed in the van, sweetheart, and I know what that means. I know I'm going to get greasy and dirty and uh, hot oil I got to deal with, and... I got to run that over to the O'Reillys and get rid of it after I'm done and all that kind of thing, right? And it's not my favorite thing. I really don't like to be greasy and dirty unless I'm, you know, deer hunting. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's not my favorite thing. But when she gets back, I'll change the oil in the van. Why? Because I love her, and it doesn't matter. So I gotta wear old clothes. So I gotta clean gunk out from under my fingers later. So what? I love her. And so it's then it's no big deal. And I realize our love for each other in the body of Christ is not romantic in the same way. But if we love each other, then a degree of sacrifice for one another is not a big deal either. Amen. So Because Christ has loved us so magnificently, let's love one another. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his magnificent love for us, demonstrated for us, and not for us only, but for the entire world at the cross. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for transforming us by your Holy Spirit day by day. Father, we thank you that you are making perfect those who are being made holy. That you love us and you bring us into your family and you tell us, here are your brothers and sisters, love them as I have loved you. Father, I pray we would be the kind of people who are characterized by forgiveness, by kindness, by gentleness, by self-control, by patience, by peace, by joy love father may we exhibit the fruit of the spirit as we enjoy each other as we serve together as we fellowship together as we study your word together as we pray together as we encourage each other day by day father may we truly be able to say this is the family of god this is my brother this is my sister Father, we thank you for your great blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.